Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 3. Anyone remember what that word Deuteronomy means? Second law. Second law. At least one person remembered. So that's an that's a answer to a prayer, right? Second law. This is the second time that Moses gives this law to the nation of Israel. We know now it's this younger generation. All the people that were 20 years and older, 38 years ago, that whole generation has passed away. So now it's this younger generation. And Moses is still looking back to what God has done. And they're about to enter into the future here at the end of chapter 3. We're going to see now we're in present tense. But we'll begin reading Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 1. Then we turned and went up the road to Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all his people to battle at Edri. And the Lord said to me, do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hand. You shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwell in Heshbon. So the Lord our God also delivered into our hands Og, king of Bashan, with all his people. And we attacked him until we had no survivors remaining. And we took all his cities at that time. There was not a city which we did not take from them. Sixty cities, all the region of Argob, the kingdom of Og, in Bashan. All these cities were fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, besides a great many rural towns. And we utterly destroyed them, as we did to Shihon, king of Heshbon, utterly destroying the men, women, and children of every city. But all the livestock and the spoil of the cities we took as booty for ourselves. And at that time, we took the land from the hand of the two kings of the Amorites, who were on this side of the Jordan, from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon. The Sidonians called Hermon Siron, and the Amorites called it Senir. And all the cities of the plain, all Gilead and all Bashan, as far as Salka and Edri, cities of the kingdom of Og and Bashan. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Indeed, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. Is it not in Rabbah of the people of Ammon? Nine cubits is its length and four cubits its width, according to the standard cubit. At the end of chapter 2, we saw the nation of Israel beginning to march into warfare. At the beginning of the chapter, we see God commanding them, Stop skirting around the mountain. Stop skirting around the mountain and now move into the promised land. At the end of chapter 2, we saw how King Sihon was delivered into their hands, but they needed to be active in warfare. It was not just lay around and do nothing and it's all just going to happen for you. God has it for you, but we need to go out and attack. We need to go out and do something about it. And perhaps you're here tonight and you've been skirting around the mountain. You've been skirting around the issue. You know what God has commanded you to do. And instead of just being obedient, you've been skirting around that issue maybe for six months, maybe for a year. Maybe you're like Israel and it's been 38 years and you're still skirting around that issue. It's time to stop skirting around and go into warfare. This is the second time in Deuteronomy where we see God saying, do not fear. Do not fear. 
but go in and attack. So they begin seeing Og, king of Bashan. We're going to find out later. He's a giant. He's probably 10, 11 feet tall. He'd done great in the NBA. And he's coming at them. They didn't seek to fight him. They didn't seek out any warfare. But he comes with all his people to attack this group of slaves that have been living in the desert for the past 38 years. And yet God delivers them into their hands. They needed to attack, but God delivered them into their hands. The same is true for us today. God, as we read last week in Romans 6, God delivers us from sin. But we need to attack it and we need to utterly destroy it. Just as Israel did here with this kingdom of Bashan, they utterly destroyed it. When we think of the word utterly destroy, we can think of the term take no prisoners. Have you ever played a game like that and you say, I'm taking no prisoners? That, that, that's what we need to be doing with our sins and the things which so can easily trip us up. We need to see our sins, our shortcomings, our weaknesses, and we need to utterly destroy them. We need to take no prisoners. And again, it's amazing with God fighting their battles, this group of slaves who have been camping in the desert for 40 years, just conquered another 60 fortified cities in battle. 60 cities with walls, with gates, with bars, and yet they're able to go in and overcome them. We need to be reminded that God plus one man is a supermajority. Forget a majority. God with one man is a supermajority. And so often we look at the odds. So often we look at the difficulties and we fail to think, is this God's battle? Is this battle a godly battle? Let's turn to Numbers 13. And in Numbers 13, we see the last time Israel was here. And yet all the lies that these ten spies bought into. Joshua and Caleb, they didn't buy into it, but 10 out of the 12 spies bought into so many lies. Numbers 13, verse 28. These are the spies giving their report, and in verse 28 they say, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and among, along the banks of the Jordan. This is all true. Everything that they're saying thus far is true. And we just verified it here in Deuteronomy 3. But they're just stewing in fear they're just stewing in all the impossibilities of the land ahead of them and of the enemy ahead of them then we see here Caleb verse 30 he quiets the people before Moses and he said let's go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it Caleb he believed that God plus one man was a supermajority. 
Caleb was trusting in the word of God. God had already told him, this land was their land. This land is my land. No, that's not what he said, right? He said, this land in front of you, this promised land, this is yours. This is your possession. You didn't need to send out 12 spies. God never told them to do that. They just needed to go in and take the land. Caleb says, we can go up. We are well able to overcome the walls and the cities and the giants. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it were men of great stature. Therefore, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. This group of spies, they give a false report. They're not being obedient to God. They're not being obedient to the word of God. They're not being obedient to the promises of God. They are just stewing in their fears and in the difficulties of it. What are the things God has called you to do, called me to do, and instead of just being obedient to his word, we're just stewing in the fear and in the difficulties. It's so sad because these ten men were fearful and told the nation of Israel, you can't do it. Look at all the impossibilities. Then the vast majority of Israel believed them and they didn't believe the Lord their God and it cost them greatly. We jump to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 36. We can be reminded of this. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 36. It says, Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it, and to him and his children I am giving the land on which he walked, because he wholly followed the Lord. The Lord was also angry with me for your sakes, saying, Even you shall not go in there. We'll see that at the end of the chapter. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. Moreover, your little ones and your children, who you say will be victims, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there. To them I will give it, and they shall possess it. So Caleb is the only one that gets to enjoy of the promises of God because he wholly followed the Lord. He didn't buy into the fear. He didn't, fall in, he didn't buy into the difficulty. He wholly followed the Lord saying, God said we can do this. Let's just go and do it. And then the very same children whose parents said they would be squished by the giants just defeated a giant and all of his kingdom. It's so beautiful here because Caleb would not just stop here with this King Og of Bashan. Caleb would continue until he was 85 years old in his giant slaying. In Joshua 15 verse 14, it tells us that Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak. 
The very same sons from the father who the ten spies said, we've seen the sons of Anak there and they're giants. They're huge. We're like grasshoppers. And yet Caleb, when he's 85 years old, is still out there slaying giants. So important for us to not just sit back on what we once did for the Lord, but to continue to press on. It doesn't matter your age, whether you're a young teenager like David or whether you're an old man like Caleb. We serve the living God who's seeking out for men who are wholly devoted to him and are willing to attack the giants. That's what our God is looking for. At the end of verse 11, we see only Og of Bashan remained of the remnant of the giants. Og was the last of the Rephahim, or as we saw last week, the Zamzumin that we read about. And yet they were able to destroy him and his entire army and his 60 cities because God had promised them the deliverance. At the end of verse 11, it tells us how big his bed was, nine cubits in its length, four cubits in its width, according to the standard cubit. Now this is a king-sized bed, truly a king-sized bed. Our current king-sized bed is about 6'4 by 6'8, so 6 feet 4 inches by 6 feet 8 inches. King Og's bed was about 14 feet by 6 feet. So Shaq would definitely approve of this bed, right? So he was a giant. The very same giants that the Israelites were saying, we can't beat them, we'll be destroyed. Fast forward, group of people who are obedient and faithful to the Lord, they're able to completely, utterly destroy them. Now we jump to verse 12. It says, And this land, which we possessed at that time from Aroer, which is by the river Arnon, and the half the mountains of Gilead and its cities I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites. The rest of Gilead and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, I gave to the half-tribe of Manasseh. All the region of Argob with all Bashan was called the land of the giants. Jair, the son of Manasseh, took all the region of Argob as far as the border of the Jeshurites and the Makathites, and called Bashan after his own name, Havath Jair, to this day. Also I gave Gilead to Machir, and to the Reubenites and the Gadites. I gave from Gilead as far as the river Arnon, the middle of the river as the border, as far as the river Jabbok, the border of the people of Ammon, the plain also with the Jordan as its border, from Chinnereth as far as the east side of the sea of the Arba, the Salt Sea, that's the Dead Sea, below the slopes of Pisgah. And here what we have is a title deed. A title deed is being given to each and every one of these tribes. And here it's describing for us exactly the land that was given to them. There's some good news and bad news here. The good news is that after 400 years of slavery... And then, third, and then 40 years meandering in the wilderness, the tribes of Israel are finally, finally, imagine waiting 440 years for something, right? Finally beginning to possess the land that God had promised to Abraham centuries ago. That's the good news. The bad news is that if you remember, these were the two and a half tribes that begged Moses to settle 
for less than what God had for them in the promised land. These men, they came to the first land that was good enough for cattle, and they said, this land is good enough for us. We don't have to go any further. We don't have to fight anymore. We don't have to push forward anymore. This land is great. We'll settle right here, the first steps into the promised land. Soon these men would have to go to war with their brothers and would leave their wives and their little ones for seven years. Because they sought comfort, because they were willing to settle, they would now be separated from their wives and children for the next seven years as they helped their brothers continue to conquer the land. Commentator John Maxwell, going to quote him twice here, Good quotes. He says, On the west side of the Jordan, the children of Israel were to exterminate their enemies. The land that is conquered must be occupied. Two and one half tribes chose to live on the east side of the river. And history teaches us that when the other tribes had settled into Canaan, Reuben and Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh, they would soon return to the other side of the Jordan. They took little part in the national life of Israel and soon would completely lose their inheritance. They appeared to have been absorbed by the very nations in which they were supposed to overcome. So is there a lesson to all of us in this story? Are there future problems in our spiritual lives which may cause us to stop short of the total will of God. Today, are we making decisions? Are we stopping short of utterly destroying a sin, utterly destroying a relationship, utterly destroying a habit that fast forward a week from now, six months from now, a year from now, ten years from now, we are selling ourselves short of the total will and blessings of God. It's a warning to each and every one of us. As parents, hopefully, you have more foresight than your sons and daughters. I didn't when I was a kid, right? We get lazy in school. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And my parents would say, Zach, you got to work hard in school so that your college gets paid for, so that you get scholarships. I wasn't thinking that far ahead. I was just thinking about today. I'm in school today. I'll figure it out later. Stopping short of what I could do. Stopping short of working as hard as I could in what God had put in front of me. And sadly, there are many of us spiritually that we are stopping short of working as hard as we can spiritually. We're giving into laziness. We're giving into the cares of this world. And we're stopping short of all that God has for us. If we've repented of our sins, if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we're saved. Just as Israel, God has given us possessions as well. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, you could just write this down. Ephesians 1, 3, it tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So God, in and through Jesus Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it tells us, As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. 
So each of us, if we're saved, we've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. But here in 2 Peter chapter 1, the very next verse, verse 4, warns us that there's still more ahead of us. It tells us in verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. God the Father, through Jesus Christ, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. But now we need to go out in faith, obey, believe, and attack the enemy in order that we can taste of those exceedingly great and precious promises that God has laid ahead of us. He's given us incredible promises, but if we're not being obedient to him, we will never taste of those promises. Just as Israel did not taste of the promised land until they acted out in faith, believed, obeyed, and attacked their enemy as God had commanded them. A couple questions to, again, solidify this point. Were the Israelites who died in the wilderness free from slavery? They were free from slavery. They were freed from Egypt. They were freed from slavery, but they died in the wilderness. They didn't make it to the promised land. Were the Israelites who died in the wilderness God's chosen people? Absolutely. They were God's people. They got to see the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. Did the Israelites who died in the wilderness taste of the promised land that God had declared for them? Absolutely not. And there is the warning for us here tonight. We may be saved. We may be God's chosen people, but we may just be surviving in this life instead of tasting of the abundant life. Sadly, many Christians are stuck surviving in the carnal lifestyle instead of thriving in the abundant life that Jesus wants to give to each and every one of us. We need to stop skirting around the mountain. We need to stop riding the edge of what we know that God and his word has commanded us to do. Have we gone out and attacked those enemies of our spiritual life taking no prisoners? Are we out there working as hard as we can, fighting as hard as we can so that we can taste of all the promises God has had, that God has for us? Not salvation. Salvation is by the grace of God alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. But now the promises in this life and the rewards in the next life, that is determined to us fighting the fight, running our race. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Another incredible scripture here for us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, right after the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 tells us, tells us of all these ordinary men and women who just lived simple lives of obedience and faith and were able to do amazing things for God. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 tells us, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Next time you read through the book of Hebrews, I encourage you to just, every time you see the word we or are or us, it should open our eyes a little bit. Because here the author, he's putting himself there with the people he's writing to. He's saying, hey, I'm surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses. I need to be laying aside every weight. I need to be laying aside the sin which so easily ensnares me. And I need to be running with endurance the race that is set before me. I need to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith as well. So if some people believe Paul's the author of Hebrews or another disciple or Apollos. So if Paul or Apollos or these other apostles, if they needed to actively continue in laying aside weights and sins, if they needed to continually run the race that was in front of them, if they continued to need to look unto Jesus, how much more do we need to do the same? And this is the only way we get to taste of the abundant life that Jesus has for us. We know that the enemy, he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that we may have life and that we may have it abundantly. We need to do our part in that. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 3. Deuteronomy chapter 3 verse 18 says, then I commanded you at that time, saying, the Lord your God has given you this land to possess. We know that Moses, he's telling them everything God has told him. But we see here, it's God and Moses that they see these two and a half tribes settling right when they enter the promised land. So now he stops and he reminds both them and the rest of the 12 tribes, there is more to conquer. There is much more to conquer. There is more to attack. There is more to possess. Right away, instead of settling, he reminds them, there's more to do. There's more that God has in front of you. This whole land God has given you to possess. My youngest son, Luke, he's four years old, and he just had his preschool graduation. So jokingly, I said, you're all done with school, right? Four years old, graduation, all done with school. No, there's much more ahead of him. There's a lot more school ahead of him. But sadly, once again, there are many Christians who the moment they throw their pre-K-4 graduation cap up there, say, Lord, I'm all done. Lord, I've conquered all that you have for me. And perhaps you're here tonight because God's reminding you, hey, there's much more out there for you to possess. There's much more that you can grow in your walk and relationship in the Lord. There's much more to go that you can stop struggling in life and growing and flourishing 
Going through difficulty, but having the peace that surpasses all understanding. Going through difficulty, but having a life that's built upon the rock. That no matter what storm, what wind, what may blow, you can survive and your house won't be destroyed. John Maxwell, he says, A great leader is always asking his people to give up at any moment what they are in order to receive all that they can become. The issue is not can they, the issue is will they. By reminding the people that this land is promised and given by God, Moses is helping them measure their potential, not by what they see in themselves, but by what they see God has for them. How are we measuring our potential? By what we see of ourselves? By our past? By what we think we can only do in our strength? Or are we seeing the potential that God has for us in what his word says? In what his word says? And in his power and in his might. What does God have in store for you that perhaps you're shortchanging yourself? How much more is there out there to possess and yet you're relaxing on your pre-K-4 schooling saying, I have done enough. There's so much more land to go out and possess. All you men of valor, continuing verse 18, all you men of valor shall cross over armed before your brethren, the children of Israel. But your wives, your little ones, and your livestock, I know that you have much livestock, shall stay in your cities which I have given to you. We don't have time to go there, but back in Numbers, their reason for staying here is they tell Moses two or three times, we have a lot of livestock. This land is good for livestock. Let's just wait here. We have a lot of livestock. This land is good for livestock. Let's just stay here. He continues, says, hey, they're going to stay in the cities, verse 20, until the Lord has given rest to your brethren as to you. And they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them beyond the Jordan. Then each of you may return to his possession which I have given to you. We know that all 12 tribes fought and participated in defeating Og and Sihon. But now these two and a half tribes, they need to continue to fight with their brothers so that they can get their possession and so that they can rest as well. Moses reminds them of their promise. And now they must get up and help the rest of the tribes and the rest of their brothers take their own possessions. So now every man 20 years old and above had to leave their moms, had to leave their wives, had to leave their children and go back to war until the Lord had given rest to all of their brothers. Verse 21 and 22. It says, And I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms, through which you pass, you must not fear them. For the Lord your God himself fights for you. Moses, after leading these first two battles, he turns to Joshua. He hands him the baton in a sense. And he says, hey, Josh, we just defeated these two kings and these two and a half tribes. They have their land. Now go out there 
and get the rest of the promised land. It's time to get to work, finish off the rest of these evil kings and nations and countries. And whenever there's something overwhelming in front of us, it's so important for us to take a step back and remember all of the great things that God has done for us. So important to have gratitude and thankfulness, to have thanksgiving, to take a step back and look at the history of your life. Look at how God saved you. Look at how God protected you. Look at how God has kept you. And then look at that difficulty again. And you should be able to say, yeah, God's been able to do it in the past. He's going to be able to do it in the future. Perhaps you don't have that much of a history. Perhaps you're here and you're 12 years old. That's the blessing of reading the Word of God. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So perhaps there's a great difficulty that awaits you. I encourage you, go through the Word of God and be reminded of the miracles that God has done in our lives and in the great cloud of witnesses. These two kings and all of their fortified cities were once declared as an impossible task. And yet God delivered all of it into their hands. Please, don't forget the Lord and all of his faithfulness in the past. Don't forget the Lord and all of his faithfulness. Remind yourself of his great works towards you. We can think of Elijah the prophet. Pretty amazing man. Elijah the prophet. Raining down fire from heaven. Telling, right, he was the weather channel. He would say, he would tell the rain to stop. Then he would seek the Lord and he would tell the rain to start. And yet he fries all of the prophets of Baal. And then he forgets the victories of the Lord. And he runs in fear for his life. He runs in fear for his life. He's down. He's depressed. What's the point? I'm the only one. And he has forgotten the faithfulness of the Lord his God. David Guzik says, Remembering God's past faithfulness is key to present and future victories. Remembering God's past faithfulness is key to present and future victories. He reminds Joshua of the great things God has done. Hey, look at these kingdoms that you just went through, that you just tore through, that you just utterly destroyed. The same thing is going to happen to every kingdom in your path. And then in verse 22, he says, You must not fear them, for the Lord your God himself fights for you. It's the second time in this chapter that we see God commanding his people Do not fear. Do not fear. There's some great questions here for us. One question is, hey, is God fighting for you? Is God fighting for you? Is God fighting on your behalf? We've seen that throughout the book of Deuteronomy, that God is fighting on their behalf. The great question is, who do you belong to and what battles are you fighting? Who do you belong to and what battles are you fighting? 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, it tells us, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So the first question is, who do you belong to? If you truly have repented of your sins, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're his children. So now we know that the Holy Spirit in us Jesus Christ living in us. It's no longer I who live, but Jesus Christ living in me. 
is greater than all that's in the world and all the enemies and the giants that the world has in front of me. But now how are we going about our battles? In Deuter- at the end of Numbers and at the beginning of Deuteronomy chapter 1, Israel is told to go into the promised land. They say no. God says, okay, you're all going to die. And then what do they say? Okay, we'll go fight. We'll, we're, we'll, okay, we'll go fight now. And God says, don't do that. You're going to get destroyed. Sure enough, they go to battle and they get wrecked. They get destroyed. All of them die. Jeremiah 17 verse 5. Jeremiah 17 5 says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his arm, whose heart departs from the Lord. So how can we know if God is fighting on our side? Are you working in the arm of the Spirit or are you working in the arm of the flesh? Are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in your self-discipline? Are you trusting in your wit? Are you trusting in your strength? Because God says you're cursed. You need to trust in the Lord. You need to continually seek the Lord so that our heart does not depart from the Lord. Finally, Romans chapter 8 verse 13 tells us that if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We need to be fighting in the Spirit. We need to be fighting in the Spirit. That's the only way we're going to be in the right battle that God, He's the one going ahead of us and He's doing the battle. G. Campbell Morgan, he says, To these people, fearlessness was a duty. Over and over again, this command was laid upon them. They had no right to be afraid. Moses now argued for this by reminding them in the cases which where they already had been at war and had been victorious. But the supreme note in his argument was that it contained these words. God himself fights for you. The reason for these victories and the reason, therefore, why they should fight without fear was because it was Yahweh, their God, who fought for them. This needs to be understood. We must be careful to recognize that it does not so much mean that God was on their side as that they were on the side of God. God would not have fought for them if their cause had been unrighteous. It was because in their warfare, they were carrying out the will of God. That's why he fought for them. This is an important distinction for our application. Whose battles are you fighting? If you're always fighting your own battles, I'll tell you one thing. Arguing with your spouse, you're not fighting God's battles, right? God, he's on my side here, right? God, we're in this together, right? You're saying, nope, you're by yourself, buddy. That's not the case. So often we go out in our own strength and we say, of course God's going to be with me. Perhaps you're like Samson. God has given you grace upon grace upon grace. And you get up saying, ah, God worked it out. God gave me mercy every other time. He'll do it again. And that sad verse, Samson did not know that the spirit of the Lord had departed from him. We need to be conscious. Are we on God's side? He doesn't necessarily just fight for us and our own causes. He fights for his own cause. The question is, are we on his side? Verse 23. 
Moses gets so personal here, and the Word of God always reveals to us the weaknesses of the heroes of the faith, reminding us that these are, these are just normal human beings like you and I. Verse 23, Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Every parent all of a sudden feels very biblical in how they talk to their kids, right? <laughs> enough of that. Don't talk to me about this matter anymore. We see Moses, he's pleading for the grace and mercy of God. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Each of us should be crying out to God for grace and mercy. Here Moses, he's crying out for grace and mercy in lieu of his own sin, we know that David, he cried out for grace and mercy in lieu of his own sin and the baby that was sick. There's nothing wrong with crying out for God's grace and mercy, especially when it's our fault. God has no problem with that. But there will come a point when God will answer that plead of grace and mercy and then enough is enough. As a, as a good father, as a biblical father, I discipline my children. But it's not always the same discipline every time. I pray, I seek the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do here? Do I discipline them? Do I show them grace? Do I show them mercy? What do you want to do here? So there are times when the Lord will speak to me and say, all right, show them grace, show them mercy. Hey, I love you. This time Dada's going to show grace. He's going to show mercy. Don't do that again. This is what you deserve, but you're going to get grace and mercy. Sooner or later, I think my kids kind of caught wind of it. Because every time I said, go to the bathroom, that's a grace, that's a grace, that's a grace. Right away, the, the plea deal entered in. The plea deal entered in. But a righteous father and a righteous God cannot give us mercy and grace every single time that we sin. Many times there are consequences for our sins. And here for Moses, even though it seems like a small thing in our eyes, there were consequences for Moses' actions. We know that James chapter 3, verse 1 warns us, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. There's a stricter judgment out there for teachers and for leaders representing God to mankind. There is a harsh standard for each and every one of us. And Moses completely misrepresented the Lord God to the nation of Israel. And he also misrepresented, maybe he didn't know, maybe he knew, he misrepresented Jesus Christ and what God was going to one day do with him. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, and he told them, Because you did not believe me, to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. The first time Israel's crying out for water, God tells Moses, strike the rock 
and water's going to come out. Israel, they're hungry for water. Once again, they're thirsty for water. And God tells Moses, speak to the rock. Don't hit the rock. Speak to the rock. And yet Moses, in his anger and in his frustration, he starts smacking the rock. It's with Aaron's rod, so we don't know if the buds are going everywhere or the flowers are going everywhere, right? But he smacks the rock, and then he begins to basically curse them. You group of rebels. And he starts going off on his anger, and he misrepresented the Lord. We know that Jesus, we don't have time to go there, but in 1 Corinthians it tells us that Jesus was the rock in whom the water came out. And Jesus was to be struck once. He was struck at the cross, and we know that water and blood poured out of him. But from here on out, to taste of the blessings of Jesus Christ, he no longer needs to be struck. We can simply speak to him. We can simply cry out to him. And here Moses, in his anger and his frustration, he misrepresented God the Father, and he misrepresented God the Son, Jesus Christ. So God tells him, enough of that. Speak to me no more of this matter. And yet we see the grace of God. Because Moses asks, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan. A little bit of grace and mercy. We know that at the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah are there with Jesus Christ. So Moses, he kind of sneaks into the promised land later on, many centuries later on. However, in verse 27 and 29, we see that God, he still answers the heart of Moses in wanting to see the promised land. Verse 27, go up to the top of Pisgah and lift your eyes towards the west, the north, the south, and the east. Behold it with your eyes, for you, here's the bad news, shall not cross over this Jordan, but command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. So we stayed in the valley opposite Beth Peor. Here we see the true test in our love for God. A true test in our love for God when we get the word no. When we get the word no, how do we react? Moses has been working at this for about 80 years. And yet he's getting a no. We don't see, that's not the end of Deuteronomy. It's not Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 1. And Moses quit and went his way, right? No, he continues to lead them. He continues to share God's word with them. He continues to be a faithful leader. And he's faithful in showing Joshua the ropes, handing him the baton, and encouraging and strengthening Joshua. When we get the nose to our, to our prayers, are we like David? Are we like Moses? Are we like Job? Saying, hey, he gives, he takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This is what I desired. This is what I wanted. But God truly is the gift that we're searching for. God truly is the treasure that's awaiting us there in the secret place. So hey, let's go ahead and pray. And then we'll close in worship. Worship team, if you guys can come up. And pastors, if you guys can come up as well. Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. And Lord, thank you that you don't hide the sins and weaknesses of these great heroes, Lord. 
Lord, I, I just pray that you'd encourage each and every one of us, Lord. Perhaps some of us here, we have totally blown it this week. Perhaps we've blown it today on our way here, God. Lord, help us to come boldly to that throne of grace, Lord. Help us to repent, Lord. Help us to desire that relationship and friendship with you more than our own pride or our own self-righteousness or our own hypocrisy in how others see us, Lord. Help us to be quick to repent, Lord. Lord, help us to seek you. And Lord, just would you strengthen our faith, Lord. Give us a hunger for your word, Lord. May we truly be those, the just, who are living by faith, Lord. God, please do that in us. Forgive us of our sins. And Lord, whatever you've revealed to us tonight, Lord, wherever you've convicted us, wherever you've sort of poked and prodded at our heart and said, hey, this is you. Got to work on this. Lord, help us just be obedient to you, God. So Lord, give us boldness to come up front for prayer. Give us boldness to grab the person next to us and to pray with them, Lord. But God, just give us boldness to be quicker and quicker to obey you. So we just love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, let's all stand and we'll close in worship. If you need prayer, there's pastors up front.